Thanks, guys, for downloading The Green Room. Just a quick reminder before we get started, I will be headlining stand-up Scottsdale, Scottsdale, Arizona, March 20th, 8 o'clock, with special guests Tess Barker and Phoenix native Matt Anderson. So that's March 20th, stand-up Scottsdale, 8 o'clock. Buckle up! It's showtime! It's time for The Green Room with Sean Green. The show. All right, let's do it. All righty then, let's get started. And now for the moment no one's been waiting for. Welcome everyone to the green room. We're doing it live here on SeanTGreen.com, sponsored by Amazon. As always, of course, you go to SeanTGreen.com, hit that Amazon banner. You can bookmark that. Always appreciate you guys clicking through. Very easy process, very easy setup. Anything you want on Amazon, of course. Very special guest, Mr. H. Allen Scott. Hello. H. Allen, uh, thanks for coming on, man. I love an Amazon. I love an Amazon. My mother is obsessed with Amazon. She bought four copies of, of Downton Abbey. Really? Because she was so excited about Amazon. <laughs> now, wait. She was just... Uh, she was excited about Amazon and ordering Amazon Prime. She's obsessed with Amazon <laughs> Prime. And so she bought like all of these copies of Downton Abbey and sent them to so many different people. I got two copies. Bro, that's Same uh, season. Same season. Amazon... <laughs> Your mom was just like she doesn't know how to work Amazon. It's just that she loves it. Yeah, she likes the idea of shopping online shopping. Yes, it is very easy, and yeah, I could imagine with the Prime thing. Now, what is Prime exactly? So it's... Prime, I work for Amazon. Actually, oh, okay. no, I don't. Um, <laughs> I, Prime, I wouldn't be surprised. Is like ninety dollars or whatever, <laughs> and it's for the year, and you basically get like free sec. Not well, free. It's, you pay ninety dollars yeah. for it, but you get free like two day shipping or something with all your shipping. Oh wow! In addition to the um, streaming video services that they have, so like all of those things you can you can buy books or rent books for free it's like all kinds of stuff with amazon prime yeah um so order amazon prime people no yeah i mean uh yeah and order it through the green room website but yeah <laughs> the, it is uh amazon prime i i feel like it's one of those cult type things like do you, yeah. it, whatever product i subscribe it is, to all of it yeah <laughs> whatever a product it is whether it's amazon prime or whatever you do feel like sometimes there's people that are just so about it Immediately, I'm almost turned off. Like people are just like, "You got to get Amazon Prime." You got. Uh, I, I think it's maybe the comedian in me just like wanting to be contrarian. Like immediately, now I know Amazon's a sponsor, but let's not Amazon <laughs> Prime. But yeah, like Breaking I'm, Bad, <clears throat> yeah, or any sort of or any like Sons of Anarchy or just any show that everyone keeps talking about. Immediately, being like the comedic critic my first move is to go oh that probably sucks i just got to take a look at it i can figure out what sucks about it yeah no i'm the same way except i think i kind of go in an opposite direction when it comes to like discovering new things you know what i mean i i I look at amazon prime and i'm like i gotta understand this i gotta be able to get what this is all about so that then when i make fun of it i can make fun of it with some you know some credit (laughs) like i understand what's going on right well and then i also do the other thing where if Everyone, especially in the comedy community, or just from you know hanging out, doing stand up all the time, whether it's political, celebrity, whatever it is, everyone's taking one stance or kind of like, oh hey, well whatever it is, uh, Republicans are so dumb, which I I do think they are, but instinctively, 
I want to look for that contrarian point of view of just like kind of the opposite just because I get bored kind of hearing the same kind of stuff. Well, and even with like the political analogy you just brought up, like yeah. I love sort of – I have this guy, this friend of mine who – he's not just a guy. He's actually someone I like. He's a friend. Yeah. yeah. And it would be random if it would just be a guy. <laughs> um, but he is not a Republican at all. But when Sarah Palin was running for vice president, he was – he loved Sarah Palin. <laughs> he loved Sarah Palin only because – None of his friends did. Like it's the only like it was it was sort of like what what is that that you you want to be not different you just want to kind of understand it you just want to kind of go against the grain and like like something that no one else does just so that it I guess you stand out by doing yeah. that. But yeah, no, there is it is well, and it's standing out in our circles of kind of like liberal minded comedian yeah. in New York, L.A. But in the middle of the country, maybe you are kind of following in the pack. So yeah. Uh, but let's be real too. We're all just like begging for attention. Like, yeah, exactly. It's only because looking, Dad didn't hug us. I'm just enough. looking to cause an argument yeah. and to, basically to crap on what everyone else is enjoying. And at the end of it, it's just really a light, subtle sort of love me. Yeah, exactly. Love me. Just c- come on. Hug now, me. Now, so you're. I know you're out here from New York. It sounded yeah. like you were talking about uh, before we started the podcast. You've kind of been. On and off uh, in New York and L.A., but you're originally from Missouri? Originally from St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, right. yeah. I, I, I was born in Baltimore, but I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. So St. Louis is home. So what are we talking? Like, how old How old were you when you uh, started hanging out in St. Louis, Missouri? In St. Louis. We moved um, when I was a kid, like, you know, five, six. So, I mean, it's all – it's my cognitive years, um, whatever those years. I don't know what those years actually are. I guess, yeah. like – the important years where you got your pubic hair and lost some virginity and, you know, <laughs> did the important things. And and that all happened in St. Louis. Actually, the losing my virginity happened in another city. But the, whatever. Same so, but still, I was living in St. Louis. I was just on a trip elsewhere. Well, that's not a, the point of what we're talking about. But, yes, I was uh, – so, like, five, six, I moved to St. Louis. Okay. Yeah, and then now, I, I was there until I was a teenager. Now, when did you uh, when did you decide to head out of St. Louis? Well, I left for Chicago right after St. Louis, um, right out of high school, you know, and uh, then I wound up in New York shortly after that. I worked in politics before I was doing anything with comedy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was right. a well, political well, fundraiser for Democratic campaigns. Um. Okay, so you were a political fundraiser. Yeah. Uh, for Democratic candidates, I started with my first big candidate. Probably that that was like huge. Was uh, well, I, I did a lot of work for Mel Carnahan, who was running against John Ashcroft in Missouri. He's the guy, the dead guy that um, John Ashcroft lost to, and and then I um, was. Sorry, we're interrupted there, H. Allen. I apologize. My dog was going crazy. An adorable dog. <laughs> he is. He's an adorable puppy. Buddy. There's inevitably a couple of puppy podcast breaks. <laughs> going on so now you were okay so take us one more time sorry you were living in chicago when you started in politics yeah 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 um and and so my first big race was working for wesley clark who was running for president in 2004 and um he essentially lost his race a lot of people differ in opinions but i think he lost the race when he wore a leather jacket and a uh, white shirt on the cover of the advocate magazine which is like a gay magazine yeah he was trying to appeal to the gay to the oh, gays. and they didn't they didn't go for it. Well, he looked ridiculous. He looked like a like a like a like a rapist. <laughs> I mean, he looked I mean, which I mean might actually be appealing to I guess some gays, but some. He, he he just he looked ridiculous. So that that happened. And then I worked for I worked for Anthony Weiner. It's probably one you'd know. Yes. No, um, very familiar when with he ran work. for mayor in 2005 with his work and his pictures, his <laughs> his art, really. All right. Well, let's well, quick sidestep there. Now, do you think how much of that, the Anthony Weiner tweeting out a picture of his Weiner, 
How much of that do you think that was like subconscious self-sabotage? What do you think is going on there? I think, of course, subconsciously, you're playing with fire when you do things like that, clearly. But I'll say this about Anthony Weiner. I say this a lot because, I mean, it's it's part of my resume, and I love talking about Anthony Weiner. Not just because of the scandal, which I don't think – I don't really care too much about the scandal. I loved that man. That man was an awesome, awesome politician. He was not always fun to work for. He was a very angry, strong, yelling man. But he knew what he was doing. But he was a great, amazing public servant. So saying that, it's all ego. Every politician has a crazy high ego, and someone like him had a huge, huge ego. He would have been the next mayor of New York City. It was clear. He was going to be the next mayor, and he thought he was the shit, and it didn't work (laughs) out. And then he did foolish things like sending pictures of his dick out on on the Twitters, and it just – it blew up, and he fucked himself. That being said, I don't think – I don't think he should have resigned – over that, to be honest. No. I think he should have just stayed in Congress and not ran for mayor, but whatever. He'll be back. He'll be back. Now, wait. Who was the other guy in New York? Um, the name's Oh, the, the Republican. Um, or the, I was thinking of the guy who was another uh, – I think he was a Democrat, too, that – Took uh, a picture with his shirt off? No, the uh, – well, that one was funny, too, but the, good, uh, yeah. the prostitute scandal? Oh, Elliot Spitzer. Elliot Spitzer, yeah. That's another know, one. There's a name. great film, um, uh, something nine, something – so it's a documentary film. I forget. Google it. Um, Elliot Spitzer and something nine. And it, client number nine or something. Client number nine. Well, basically, mm-hmm. they – it was a setup. So Elliot Spitzer went Ashley after Ashley Dupree. She was one of the call girls. Yes. Who then started her singing career. Of course. Which they I mean, jumped I, off from. That's what I tried to do with anything. I'm trying to sell my sex tape. No one will buy it. <laughs> um, but uh, so so the Elliot Spitzer thing. They had a list of all these clients that were that were getting services from this prostitution ring, right? And Elliot Spitzer, in particular, before he was governor, was going after Wall Street, crazy yeah. going after Wall Street, trying to implement New York laws on Wall Street to mm-hmm. then, of course directly influence and stop the Bush administration from doing some of the crap that caused the recession that we experienced a couple of years ago. Elliot Spitzer was doing good work, and Wall Street didn't like it. And there's this whole great documentary on sort of this client list of all these people who received prostitutes from this this place. And, like, every single one of them is like a paragraph mentioned. But client number nine has, like... 10 pages and it's all it's not they don't they never mention names in it in the descriptions of the people who received the services but you can clearly tell who client number nine is <laughs> and that's how it got out so it was i mean elliot spitzer did a shitty thing but it, yeah well i mean shitty if you're his wife or your kids yeah but yeah and it's illegal and it comes off hypocritical it's i guess it's interesting that democrats campaign a lot of times on you know, being socially liberal and like being open minded and you would think they they would be they would get more slack in these kind of mm-hmm. um you know, scandals where it's like involves stepping out on your wife or stuff like that because, you know, part of their thing is like, hey, every I don't know. I guess it's part of the you know, liberal politics of like, hey, you know, who you have sex with, when you have sex with them, whatever, that's not a big deal. But then they still fall prey to kind of losing support yeah. too. Yeah, I think it's a whole – I mean, I agree that, like, if you're a public servant and you're preaching a certain thing, then you should live up to the standards of right. what you're it's preaching. It's one thing to be – yeah, you, it comes off hypocritical, whether yeah. it's in in any sort of subject. But we've also gotten so far in social media and everything mm-hmm. or just, like, just general privacy. How are we to expect to get any public servant – 
that doesn't have some skeletons in their closet to actually do any sort of work. Like anyone who cheated on their wife or you know, defaulted on something or was a bad employee or got a DUI or whatever it is, yeah. there's got to be someone has some sort of – Well, what I'll say to that is if you're genuine, if you're honest, if you're upfront in terms of sort of how you're running your race, Republican or Democrat, I mean look at Barack Obama. He's a great example of somebody yeah. who fucking did lines of coke. He, like He tried <laughs> – Coke. He has admitted to trying cocaine before, and that yeah, man is president of the United States. And so <laughs> it's a great example of if you put out good politics and you say what you think, what you feel, except for gay marriage, which he clearly did not say what he felt for years <laughs> and years, then decided to come out of the closet <laughs> lately for an election. Um, but if, 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 you, if you are genuine with what you're trying to put out and you're honest – we, the American people will forgive you for many things, especially – well, not for being a Muslim, but for, <laughs> for doing some coke. It's amazing that they'll, they'll look past the coke, but they're not okay with him never having been ever a Muslim. They right. want, like, we want his birth certificate, but no, coke's okay. <laughs> yeah, I did lines off my birth certificate. Where's the birth certificate? That's what everyone – I rolled up uh, – I, you know, I threw it I, away after I did some coke. There was too much coke resin on it. I had to get rid of it. I'm Barack Obama. Yeah, that's one of the jokes I do in my act is yeah. that Barack Obama you know, admitted to doing coke, and I, I appreciate that honesty, which is kind of crazy. But it's also crazy to think that of the people – now, I'd love to interview one of these people – of the people who did coke with Barack Obama back in the 1980s because you're hanging around. Yeah. You're hanging out with a black guy in the 1980s in a dorm room. He's talking about becoming president one day. What are the odds he's on to something? Yeah. Like, he, I, I'm sure he talked about that because you know, you, if you do coke, you just end up talking about your grandiose plans and dreams. And I'm sure – But the he, white dude's talking with Barack Obama after coke <laughs> probably because it was the 80s brought it back to the Cosby show. I yes, guarantee exactly. you. I guarantee you that's where they went like eventually see, we it got awkward the Cosby show. let's talk about jello pudding <laughs> blah, blah, sure there's a lot of uh, lot how of many people show. do you think get uncomfortable with black people and then talk about bill cosby <laughs> like well especially back then in the 1980s i felt like bill cosby bridged a lot of because yeah he basically came off I think he was the dream he yeah. was the dream mlk was talking about right well bill cosby. it is funny though uh, i mean it is you shouldn't really preface a joke or a humorous thought with it's funny, but it's it's interesting that yeah. you know all these comedians get flack in the news or at least the past couple of years for being politically incorrect or saying something on stage, and then a guy like Bill Cosby who seemingly you know has this wholesome image on TV and whatever. When he gets in trouble for like these sexual assault or this other stuff, I felt like he got way less flack than. Yeah. Now maybe it's just kind of being in the, the comedy community and, and reading all these blogs and stuff, but I feel like the Cosby actually did some like much shadier stuff than people like they would accuse, um, or you know they say like so and so's a misogynist or sexist or whatever. But then Bill Cosby actually supposedly assaults this chick, and then. No, it's Bill Cosby. He's yeah. he's got a sweater. Yeah, I mean, it's like he has a sweater. Exactly. It's yeah. like you have these. I don't know. It's hard for I think to 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 shake sort of institutions like somebody like Bill Cosby, who outside of just being a comedic legend, and also Bill Cosby is really funny. I mean, obviously, he's really that funny. Kind of and he, he does anything. a lot of good, and he's like he he definitely changed a lot of things for a lot of people, which right. is awesome. Yeah. Um. But that being said. 
he's able to have an escape because of what he does. You know what I mean? He creates mm. entertainment. He he is not even though yes, he's creating entertainment that's setting a moral standard because that's what he's pushing, it's still he's a comedian. That's just what he is. Yeah. And he's an entertainer. And so if he does something assaulting a woman yes. which I mean what happened with it? Did it did it go anywhere or did they just I don't know. Pay her I off? just I just remember when it happened and uh who I mean who knows? A lot of these things I'll text Felicia and- Rashad. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these things, unfortunately, end up kind of going into he said, she said stuff where, yeah, yeah I mean. It, but in that case, it's more like she said, I'm Bill Cosby. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what you say. Well, and unfortunately, I, I don't know, maybe some people are more inclined to believe Bill Cosby or it, it's weird. It happens with professional athletes all the time. And both situations I see as totally plausible in my mind. Yeah. Do I see uh, someone who's a super successful celebrity kind of forcing themselves on a chick? Yeah, I could see that. But then could I also see some random chick hooks up and has this night and then says it wasn't consensual after? Like to me, both those are sub- are very plausible. Yeah. And then so as an outsider, what am I supposed to figure out? You know Bill Cosby's inherent character. No, no. So that's why. I mean, maybe really, that's, maybe that's the answer. Maybe as we're talking about this, I, I have to say, I just keep wanting to do like a Bill Cosby impersonation. <laughs> like I, every time we bring him up, I'm just like, Bill Cosby. I can't even do a good impersonation of him. No, well, it's the same thing with Jay Leno. Like you don't even really have to do a Jay Leno or a Bill Cosby. You can just kind of do the eh, yeah. And <laughs> people yeah. give you credit. <laughs> That's my Bill Cosby person. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm doing. I don't even know what that is? If I do like a Jay Leno or Bill Cosby or anything, I'm doing like an impression of a guy's impression of an impression of yeah. an impression. Mm-hmm. So it's nowhere even actually close no. to the real impression. All right, so before, so we hate Bill Cosby and Jay yes, Leno. Let's get that Bill out of the way. Bill Cosby, yeah, work of the devil. Actually, no. I don't hate him. I don't hate either of them. See, he seems all right. They yeah. both seem kind of pretty crabby. And yeah, I will say I did read an article a couple years ago about Jay Leno. No, Jay Leno's horrible, but. I did read an article a couple years ago where he – I even kept it. It was like a GQ piece or something. But he uh, he was just talking about what it means to him to be a comedian, and it was really awesome. And sort Jay of, Leno? Yeah, and it was yeah. genuine, it seemed, at that like he just he just wants J- to be Jay funny. Leno – yeah, Jay Leno seems like probably a nice guy, but then also just – he's – severely flawed and kind of a sociopath when it comes to just mm. comedy. Like yeah. he's just do jokes, write jokes, stay yeah. on tonight's show. Like he's sociopathic in that. But I bet if you like hung out with him in his car shop and you were a car guy, you'd probably have be like, Oh, that Jay Leno guy, totally nice guy. He's a nice but guy. if you were if you were his wife or maybe like Conan O'Brien or someone else kind of close to him, involved in that world, you might not think he like, he's, water. Ni- he's a nice guy. Do you know that? He, he hates water. He hates water? He won't drink water. <laughs> I read that somewhere. He hates water. Like, he doesn't drink water at all. I, I heard he... Oh, okay. I thought... Or maybe, maybe, maybe this was someone else. Vegetables. I heard he no. doesn't He doesn't drink hot stuff. No, like, that's Anderson Cooper. Oh, really? Yeah, Anderson Cooper only drinks um, cold stuff. What a weird... Why do we know these things? <laughs> I know. Why are we even discussing that? The information age, <laughs> yes. H. Allen. We've yes. gotten the information age. It's way too much. It's, we've gone overboard. We can't take it. It is weird to see Anderson Cooper... Um... Never weird for me. <laughs> Never weird. <laughs> I don't know uh, what you're talking about. <laughs> he, he does this... Um... He does this like daytime talk show now. It's canceled though. Oh, really? It got yeah, canceled. It got okay. canceled. Yeah, because it was good riddance. It was a very Doctor Phil, Oprah. Yeah. Not 
not like Jerry Springer topics, maybe, but not obviously people aren't coming on punching each other in the face and yeah. beating chairs over their head. But very that would have kept it on the air. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Very kind of well, seemingly just a ratings grab, but obviously it must not have worked. And then you watch him later on in the day, and it's hard news about Fallujah and Afghanistan. It's just such a weird transition. Of and a- then on the show, did you, I mean, on one of well, every single episode, they he had like. Four or five people, always like twenty-some-year-old kids, just sitting there on their phones or their iPads, like <laughs> tweeting about the show during the show. Like that yes. was just their job. Like they would get five people just to tweet. Like that. I don't want to see that. Like that's not something I watch daytime. I watch daytime television to hear like Barbara Walters talk about her doing Kegel exercises. Like, that's <laughs> exactly. what I want out of daytime Salacious television. Salacious girl talk. That's yeah. what it came yeah. for. Yeah, even from Anderson, especially from <laughs> Anderson Cooper. I want Salacious girl talk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's a he's yeah, he's kind He's just one of the ladies. He's very Ellen-esque. Yeah. Now, maybe his mistake was a lack of dancing. I don't know what it was, but yeah, he's got short hair and Did you see just... that SNL sketch about Ellen with no, Kate I McKinnon? Didn't. Kate McKinnon is a great awesome new member of SNL and comedian. And uh she did a sketch uh, a sketch where she was just saying, you know, Basically being Ellen, being like, Every, I love everybody. Everybody <laughs> loves, oh, I can't stop dancing. Why do I have to? It's, it's, I'm doing a horrible impersonation, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Google it. It was a really, really good. Solid SNL episode. Very good. SNL. Okay. Well, we're all over the map here, H. Yeah. Allen. feel like I want to get a little bit of more of your story. So, all right. St. Louis, growing up there. Describe, uh, like, what was your high school experience? Were you high school? I went to Kirkwood High School, um, and it's it's a. I describe my hometown. It's like a. It's about twenty minutes outside of St. Louis, um, twenty thirty minutes, and it's it's a, it's a very much a small town. The whole town is centered around the train station in the middle of the town, and um, one of the biggest things that we have is this football game that happens every Thanksgiving called the Turkey Day football game between the rival high school Webster Groves and Kirkwood, and they they they. Find Fight it off for the Frisco Bell, and so it's very. There's a small town feel in very close proximity to a very large city. Well, large quote. Yeah, that's kind of funny you say that because I, I did that again. I said it's kind of funny. <laughs> I drive myself okay. crazy it's with truth my tonight. broadcasting ticks. No, but uh, I grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and it was kind of that the same kind of feel where. Yeah, it was 70,000 people, but you were outside of Philly, you were outside of New York, so it was kind of a kind of a smaller town feel. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a city feel. And it was nice. I mean, it was uh I mean, the downsides of it was we so Kirk Kirkwood or St. Louis in general has a like a desegregation program. This wasn't necessarily a downside. I I love black people. Um <laughs> But it, uh, it, it basically – why I say it was a downside was that we had to have forced integration in order for the residents of Kirkwood, myself, to be like, oh, there are black people. Yes. Um, and because we would have been blind to it if, if, if not for that. And so we had that, and it, it was it was so it was definitely like a it was a great high school experience. I was I was student body president. Thank you. Um, and in fact, Nikki Congrats. Glazer and I went to high school together. We graduated together. Oh really? Um, yeah, we're still yeah. We it was it was uh we did a what is it called a musical comedy musical some murder of nineteen forty was a play we did in high school. I think she was also <laughs> in Diary Rand Frank with me, and we did Macbeth together. We did a lot of stuff. It was yeah. Um, so Kirkwood High School, it was great little small time town. Okay. Now yourself personally, were you into sports, drama? What were you? I was very athletic and manly. <laughs> um, but the inflection starting, of my voice should say that. Exactly. Yes, I was. Uh, like, full, what was it? What was, was the game plan for you graduating high school? 
Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to... I was obsessed with politics, I have to admit. And um, I, I was obsessed with the idea of politics. And so when I left and I, I, I did the college thing and then I went to New York and I was just... I, I got more and more into politics. And the more I got into it, the more I realized it was killing me, mainly because I was like 275 pounds and smoking a pack a day. And like my, I, w- I was not in good a good really? place in my life. And now, you don't look... I mean, you don't strike me as a guy. I can't imagine you. Yeah, there are pictures. 275 pounds. Yeah, it was. And uh, what, what do you think? Were you always kind of heavy or it was just I was job? always heavy as a kid. I was born 10 pounds, so I started out big. And uh, I was, of my entire adolescence, I always was a big kid. And, and then when I got into my adulthood, I remained big. Um, and and uh, I just kind of stayed big. And I, I, I don't think working in politics was the reason I stayed big necessarily, but... I think that lifestyle, which is very 24-7, um, similar to the comedian lifestyle, but yeah. less stressful in terms of someone yelling at you all the time. Um, and and so... Yeah, a lot of uh, drinking coffee, staying up late, eating takeout, that kind of thing. Traveling all the time. Yeah, and, and, and just traveling in general. Yeah, yeah. It's tough to get into like a regular workout routine. It's horrible. I mean, even now in my life, I travel a lot, and it's... it's uh, but now I understand sort of the process of what I need to do to stay yeah. healthy. What was the, what was like the breaking point for losing weight? Well, I, you know, I didn't like start out losing weight. Like it wasn't a thing. I remember I was sitting in my apartment in Brooklyn um, and I was eating. There was this Chinese restaurant down the street that I would go to like three times a week and I'd always get the same thing. I'd get a huge order of white rice with sweet and sour chicken and it was like that fake orange sauce, that oh, really yeah. sweet, beautiful Delicious. sauce. Yeah. And uh, and then I'd get one of those huge, huge, large iced teas that they have, um, sweet iced teas. And mm. I would then stop by – this is where it gets gross. <laughs> I would then stop by – um, Popeyes at the end of the block just for the biscuits because they had those biscuits <laughs> and jelly and it was so good. And I remember sitting there eating all of this basically and having trouble breathing and I was like, oh, this is a problem. I need to do something about this. And it was just at first I gave up soda and deep fried food and then I started walking more and I saw some results and then I it was gradual and then I, I liked the results of those so I started doing some more walking and then I started eating a little bit better and then I started running and it was like you know little things but never was sort of I'm going to lose 100 pounds really and yeah. you just did it over uh, it was like a year and a half two years I guess yeah That's... yeah it was two yeah, years yeah I mean it's always interesting because it, it is easy to kind of put on the weight and I, yeah I'm just I guess I'm interested as to what causes people to finally decide Hey, I don't want to be fat anymore. Yeah. I don't want to lose it. I don't think anyone who stays – I'm going to knock on wood on this – who stays thin thinks, I don't want to be fat anymore. You know right. what I mean? I think it just becomes sort of a – I need to change some aspects of my life. Yeah. And and then you start doing that. And as I did that, like I, I realized I didn't like meat so much and I stopped eating meat. And then you know you just start doing these things. And now I have a pretty – regular diet and i have a pretty i mean i don't i'm not like crazy healthy but maybe some people who see me eat think i'm crazy healthy and i work out as regularly as i can and you know do what i can but yeah. like yeah yeah no i mean just <laughs> i'm just staring at you trying to think how do you get 275 on that frame <laughs> it's a, it's possible it's definitely possible <laughs> all right so you're originally interested in politics coming out of high school now were yeah. you thinking of running for office yourself like, um, was there a politician you idolized? Like, oh, I want to be the next Hillary Clinton. 
Okay. I don't want to be the next Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I enjoy not having a vagina, but I uh, I was obsessed and am obsessed. If you follow me on Twitter, um, you will notice how much I tweet about Hillary, Hillary Clinton. I think she's amazing. Now, what what's the appeal with Hillary Clinton? When well, did you first fall in love with Hillary Clinton as a politician? Because I could see maybe the past few years – because you, she had a higher profile, yeah. and obviously she ran for presidential office. But as a young high school student, yeah, what about you? Goes Hillary Clinton? She's got it. Because I, I knew who Hillary Clinton was, of course, but I could not have told you one policy of hers. I have, and maybe this is the gay dude in me, but I have always had an obsession with that sort of that woman who is sort of you know she's she's put down and and she's forced she's told that she's different and that she is this and that she's that because of things that she believes or wants to do so it's that syndrome i think with a lot of gay dudes and that they why we idolize barbara streisand or liza minnelli or Bette midler it's these women who are unique who are different who own sort of their difference and make them sort of unique in that way and i think hillary clinton had Hmm. that appeal in that she was a first lady exactly she was the first First lady that was like, I'm not going to stay home and bake cookies, guys. Sorry. And she was her own person. And then, but what really did it for me was when she, when Bill Clinton decided to have a little pickle tickle time under the desk (laughs) and she was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to go and I'm going to do my own thing. I hope Amazon doesn't mind. I'm cussing. No, no. And and I'm going to do my own thing. And then she ran, which is so awesome because New York has a history of this, of outsiders coming in and running for Senate. Uh, Robert Kennedy being a great example, but she decided to run for office in New York and she did it beautifully. I mean, there's an amazing moment. You should Google this where um, Rick Lazio, who is her opponent in 2000, uh, was like, you need to sign this thing. And and during the debate, he went up to her. I remember watching this. This is how geeky I was. I was in St. Louis, Missouri, (laughs) watching a New York Senate race. Yes. Ridiculous on AOL web streams. (laughs) And, and and he goes up and he's like, you need to sign this. And she just stoically stands there and says, no, yeah. I'm not going to do that. We're on television. Exactly. I mean, it just was beautiful to me. So that's where I fell in love with Hillary Clinton. That's cool. Yeah. So, all right. Now, what about being gay? Was it – did you come out of the closet early? Um, uh, a good answer to that is my – my mother, when we were kids, she would look at my siblings and she would be like, guys, when you guys grow up and have kids, and then she would turn to me and say, or adopt. Uh, <laughs> it was always kind of a caveat. You know what I mean? It was never it – was, it only became, I guess, weird, which never really was, but it only became weird to be gay. I knew it was different when I was in high school, going – not high school, middle school. Um, but it never was bad. I had a completely, unfortunately, totally normal existence in terms of everyone knew about me. Everything was fine. Yeah, no, what, what, uh, just out of curiosity, what year did you graduate? I was in 2002. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. I'm 2001. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's I, obviously I, I am straight, so I wouldn't know what it was like to be gay, but yeah. I didn't feel like there was any sort of. I mean, there was always, you know, kids always pick on each other. Yeah. But I didn't sense an inherent more. I mean, I can't imagine it's easy at, at any situation. But I, it didn't seem to me like it was a lot. I don't know. I, I'm not phrasing it correctly, but it seemed like 
we or our generation, it was not as big a deal as the yeah. generation previously. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely cases, and there are definitely. I've ha- I have friends who had very difficult times. And oh, continue yeah, yeah, to yeah. and continue to. I mean, there are friends. I have friends who are in their thirties now and still not out to their parents, and it, that boggles my mind. I can't do anything but be out. I mean, it's really <laughs> it's really hard for me to even like. I mean, I even think like I have to work on my deep voice sometimes. I don't know. Like, I can't. I, I just don't have, and I don't want to, you know, relate being gay to having a deep voice, but it's it's just, it just never was hard for me. And so that whole idea of it gets better campaign and the heroic worship, the same thing happened when, um, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but like with uh, cancer survivor stories yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that, that heroic sort of tilt on any language i always have had a problem with just because sure some people need to know it gets better but also i think it's really healthy to know that sometimes it's just okay and it's just kind of boring and sometimes it's just shitty sometimes it's just life and it's always going to get better it's just going to get sort of boring exactly yeah it's not going to be crazy extreme it's just going to kind of be an acceptable mediocrity that people deal with in their lives. And sometimes people will be shitty to you. Sometimes people will say things. I've had at comedy clubs people who won't shake my hand, bookers who won't shake my hand. I will have sometimes people who will say, we don't really have room for you for this. When you know, when you know that it's only because they don't want to put a gay guy on the show. And yeah. that's cool. And I, it's not cool, but I understand what's happening. And that's where – it gets well, and, worse. That, and that's cool that you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's cool at least though that you have some perspective on it too, yeah. and also, and I, I think too, especially in comedy or show business, um, yeah, it is just eternally shitty. So. Yeah. It's not like you know, especially for when a you white straight male. It's not like it's any. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. you don't fit like like you and I do a lot of similar shows because I'm not doing, and I'm not. I don't want to say I'm necessarily a gay comic, but like I'm not doing specifically gay material. I'm right. not gearing myself towards yeah, a gay I mean, audience in the same way. Yeah, maybe we're doing a little comedy nerd here stuff, but there's yeah. black comedians and then there's black comedians. There's comedians who are African American guys, and then there are black comedians who. Yeah. You know their act revolves around being black, or yeah. whether it's whether it's your fat, and that's the market they're going for, and yeah. that's what they're doing, and that's completely fine. That's that's your own brand, and you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. But when you are going against sort of the standard brand of what your minority or whatever you're supposed to be is, and you're going against that, it then becomes more difficult because if I'm doing a show in in you know Columbia, Missouri, and you're on the bill, and 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 I'm trying to think of another comic. Help me here. Um, Taylor Williamson's on the bill, sure. and like you know we're all doing the same show, and <laughs> we're all guys losing their hair. Exactly, white males. <laughs> exactly, and we're all doing the same show, and we're all the same ability, and we're all at the same level. But yet they're gonna have me do five minutes, and you guys are gonna get fifteen or twenty. And yeah. you know it's just sort of they're worried about. They're worried about their audience even not wanting to stay because they're worried yeah. that their audience isn't going to want to hear a gay guy talk. Yeah. You know. And, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, there, there's Brent Sullivan's a great comedian who I think a lot like me in that we get on stage. We're very honest with who we are. We talk about ourselves on dates with men, but we're not necessarily going to the extreme exclusively talking about gay lifestyle. And it's because uh, it's not a lifestyle. It's just being us. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing. I guess I have that uh, that question. Does it ever get to be a burden to constantly 
talk about your sexuality in some way or identify with your sexuality. Does it ever – does that get old? Like it doesn't is, get that a, is old. that a burden or is that old? It doesn't feel like a burden. It's more – I mean we're always aware of it because you're you're – Every single – I think a lot about having children someday, and I also think about, like, the reality is that it's going to be very expensive for me to have children, and I understand that. And so, mm-hmm. like, that's something that isn't necessarily a burden, but it's something that you have to think about. So it's an annoyance where it's – and you might have to pay a lot of money for your children too someday. I don't know. Yeah. But your, your, your pathway is probably different in terms of, like, you can easily get it faster than i can exactly you know and and <laughs> and, and so that so it's something like it's that where like, it's not necessarily a burden it's just sort of like a reality yeah of my life and but, i understand society and how that works because yeah, i'm a rational no, I mean, human being yeah i guess it's just uh interesting because yeah i mean my sexuality i guess just take for granted that it's not associated with my identity per se or hey sean he's straight like it's not it's not in that mix and yeah. it's just interesting to think and your sexuality doesn't doesn't hinder you from doing something that should be easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's the other thing. Yeah, I guess like uh, having children or getting booked on a show if you're a credible person. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a credible person. I still have trouble getting booked. Yeah. On the show. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's the same thing, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, showbiz sucks at yeah. the end of the day. Uh, regardless. Uh, it's just a tough racket. Yeah. Yeah, and really, uh, I think regardless... I people hate comedians saying that. People who aren't comedians, like, it would be interesting to hear sort of like a listener talk about a podcast, and we hear comedians being like, it's hard being a comedian, and then, yeah. well, and then they're I like, think... it's hard working at Walmart. Try that one day. <laughs> I think if you're not super successful, you can get away with it. Yeah. I know if I was making a shitload of money, I would shut the fuck up about it, but yeah. I feel like yeah. since I grind away and work really hard, it... It avails me to shit on other people. Exactly. And, I, like and that's, that. that's I like that. That's what you one, think. That's one of the benefits of not being insanely successful is that you really have a green light to shit on people because, yeah. oh, people say, oh, you're just jealous. Well, yeah, of course. That's why I'm shitting on them. Yeah. I make fun of people that I'm jealous of. Yeah. Hey, you're doing a lot better than me. My defense mechanism or the way I handle that is to shit on you. Yeah. I also shit on myself. Yeah. It's part of the process. Yes. And I also realize if I was way more successful than people and the few comedians that I am more successful than, <laughs> I don't go out of my way to shit on them. I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. He's a nice guy. Yeah, like, totally, totally. <laughs> I've been doing this thing on Twitter. Than me, then you, then <laughs> fuck you, man. I've been doing this thing on Twitter where I'll make fun of somebody or make fun of you know somebody either more successful or whatever or situation and then I'll do an asterisk, cry for help. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, yeah. Because I mean, it's like admitting like... Like, I get what I'm doing. Yeah, know? I feel like I shouldn't have to explain that. Yeah, yeah no, you shouldn't. I just, I just like the, the sort of hilarity of using an asterisk <laughs> to, <laughs> to explain my inner monologue. <laughs> you know, I, think, I wish I could just say that in public. Like, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun here, asterisk. I'm really not. <laughs> you know? Oh, you're a card hound. All right. Um, okay, before we get into uh, our crazy some, similarities, uh, yes. Well, yeah. to add to the similarities, yeah. I, I do want to hear how you transition from working in politics to comedy. So it sounded like you were yeah. working in uh, raising funds, mm-hmm. campaign finance, that kind of thing. Yeah, working on a lot of successful campaigns. Transitioned from St. Louis to Chicago to New York. Yeah. When do you get into comedy? Why do you get into comedy? Well, I'd always kind of been doing some comedy, both in St. Louis and Chicago, but then I didn't really start 
pursuing it in any sort of real way until I got to New York. Um, and I started doing after politics. I was like, I should probably try improv. And so I went to the people's improv theater, which is the best improv theater in New York city. And I worked, um, well, it's owned and ran by Ali Farnaki as I'm a whore. I ruin his name every time. It's a long name, but go to the people's improv theater. Um, and I did a lot of really cool stuff there, but I realized I hate working with people and that I shouldn't do improv <laughs> and that I don't like improv. And so I started doing stand up. and, um, New York is, People are always like, Sean, why are you annoyed by other comedians? Because it's an industry just made of people who don't like other people. Exactly. That's why we do this. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I started doing improv or, not, or I started doing stand up in New York. And New York is amazing in that you can do so many shows in a week and you hit so many open mics and see the scene. I mean, I feel like immediately the people that I met in the first few years of me doing stand up in New York are people now who are working and who are still associates and friends of mine. And they're still, I mean, it's, it's amazing the community that is built in New York and Los Angeles and many other cities, I'm sure. Um, but uh, New York and Los Angeles in particular have a special relationship because of them being the two industry hubs. And it's, it just, it was, I got addicted immediately. I had to. So there was nothing. It was just always kind of a seed in the back of your head that eventually it was always there. And then, yeah, I would, as a kid, I would, um, my parents gave up on trying to get me to go to sleep because I was obsessed with watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and I would then take the monologue, I would try to remember keys from his monologue, and then do it for kids the next day, and no one would ever understand why I was talking about Reagan, or like, <laughs> or Bush, or, you know, like, no one would understand what I was talking about, but it's also where my love of Bette Midler started. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now, well done. <laughs> um... We had very different childhood heroes. We did. So my, Reggie no. White and Bette I'm used Midler. to that. <laughs> Reggie White and Bed Midler, but here we are. Here we are. Exactly here we are. <laughs> Living the dream. Exactly. All right. Well, so now um, talk about how you met me or I met you online. Yeah. Ba now – I feel like we probably had a lot of mutual friends. I think you were living in New York at the time, or no? I was here. Um, okay. So you, we, okay. I, I didn't. I had known of you um, mm -hmm. through your podcast and through stand up, and then I was diagnosed with testicular cancer in um, uh, late July, early August, August seventh or eighth was my diagnosis day, and then I had the surgery two days later. Anyway, August eighth, two thousand thirteen. Yeah. And 12, 12. Oh, 2012. Yeah, we're correct. not there yet for yeah. 13. Um, and shortly after that, people then, because then I became the cancer guy because I was doing it all for the Huffington Post and like I was out there doing a lot on it. And um, then when you got, you wrote an awesome blog on, on your situation and it was really well written and I liked it a lot and I shared it on my social webs. <laughs> and, uh, I appreciate that. But people were coming at me because they didn't think I knew you, and um, they, I think, I think Taylor was one of them. Actually, a few, a few people hit me up on Facebook. Sean O'Connor did. I mean, a lot of people did, and said this guy also has testicular cancer. And so then we started. Yeah, no, it was it was interesting. In the same way, like I felt like I I knew you kind of, or so, I, we probably have done shows together. Probably, don't remember yeah. or something. But yeah, we had never. No sort of like formal the cancer brings people together. Exactly. And uh, tumors, tumors bring people together. <laughs> uh, well, and, how far did yours get? Like, what was your your how, your whole situation? Okay. Well, all right. So yeah, mine. 
Now this is so it's so surreal. So yeah, I got mine <clears throat> or I started noticing symptoms July 2012 mm-hmm. and then yeah, finally got it looked at maybe a month from when I started noticing something. Now my situation was that it I just first noticed like a hardness yeah. and it was just felt a little weird, just hard just felt hard then it got really hard to the point that it was like definitely noticeably harder and then it started getting a little bit bigger and then once it started getting a little bit bigger that's when i got it looked at mm-hmm. and yeah got it uh diagnosed and the whole nine and it's fun and almost to the day the exact mm-hmm. same day as you i i just looked at my paperwork and it was yeah. august 9th 2013 Man. i thought it was august 8th but it was august 9th and when's your birthday your birthday is by mine too yeah july, july 10 is mine i'm 7 11 july 11 <laughs> so, that's awesome it's kismet uh, <laughs> as my people say no, <laughs> irish but still so uh yeah no um as far as the cancer itself yeah the uh Obviously, they took out the testicle, um, and they, you know, the test they ran. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I was fortunate it didn't spread any farther than that. And yeah, so far it's been good that it hasn't come back and spread more than that. So yeah, I was fortunate in that aspect. So now yeah. ab- about yourself and your your uh, you know battle with testicular cancer. How did it come about? What? Yeah. What's your whole Mine, uh, so I, I had a, I had a pain. Um, See, that's why, that's partly why I talked about mine too, is that I had never had, there, throughout the whole thing, I mean, obviously afterwards I was sore and stuff from the surgery, but I never had any sort of serious pain and that's Mm. probably what delayed. Mine never grew. I mean, mine, mine was never. I, at least I don't think it grew. I don't know. I'm not really a balls man. Who is a balls man? But no one. I, uh, I'm sure there are. <laughs> no, there are niche communities out there for everything. <laughs> um, and I – so I don't know if mine grew necessarily, but I had a pain. It was fairly quick too. It happened really quickly. And uh, and then I went to the doctor and I went to this gay doctor because like all my friends told me to go to him. And he was great. He actually was really great. But he now, thought it was a- – Sorry, sidetrack. What's a gay doctor? He's just a gay he just, guy. He serves a lot of people in the gay community. In, okay. Like, he's very popular among my community. And when I say my community, I mean my group circle of friends. <laughs> and and so I went to him, and uh, he thought it was an STD. And I told him, thank you, I'm flattered, but I have it's not an STD. I can guarantee you I have not well, had any sex. <laughs> I, I don't mean to get sidetracked at all, but yeah. Yeah, that's why I think there is some importance to talk about it, because the same thing I kind of had... Not necessarily a blatant misdiagnosis, but he originally, the original guy I went to, or they did a scrotal ultrasound and yeah. they said, oh, it's like a cyst, but you should still go to your urologist. But, you know, like I didn't have health insurance at the time. So I was like, mm, I don't know. I guess I should go to the urologist, but if it's just a cyst, blah, blah, blah. And uh, epididymitis, that's another yeah. popular misdiagnosis for testicular cancer. Yeah. I was just listening to Tom Green, who got his uh, testicular cancer uh, performed uh, at the same place, L.A. County, USC, which actually has a good yeah. uh, testicular cancer program. His was misdiagnosed as epididymitis mm-hmm. as well. So. Yeah. So he originally said it was possibly an STD, or that's his first yeah. instinct. Um, and, and I was sure that it wasn't. But in the week that I had to wait for the blood work between when I went to him and when it came back, when he called me August 7th, I, uh, I, I knew it was something 
not that. I knew it wasn't an STD, but I was freaking out thinking maybe I was HIV positive. I don't know why I would think I was HIV positive. There was no reason for me to think that I was HIV positive, but I went and got an HIV test anyway um, <laughs> because I am anal and neurotic like that. And I, uh, and I remember like talking with the HIV guy, that's his official name, and being like, it might be cancer, but I don't know. I mean, it could be. <laughs> it is, it is it weird be. when the HIV guy goes, yeah. uh, don't worry, it's probably just cancer. It's, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It was too much. He's like I, talking to your dad, ah, it's probably just cancer. The Relax. HIV <laughs> test taker is telling me to be calm. Um, anyway, and then August 7th, I got my call from my doctor saying I had elevated HCG levels, which is a hormone commonly found in pregnant women, but when not in pregnant women, it's found in men. Um, it usually means a tumor marker is yeah, happening in the body. Just... And uh, then I went to the urologist August 8th, and it was um, in Beverly Hills. Uh, I say that because that always is kind of surreal for me to go there and get something done and then for something like that to be told. And then in the waiting room of the urologist, it was Adele was playing on a loop, and it was like... To me, it just seemed really weird that, like, Adele would be playing in a urologist, like, men sitting around feeling insecure about themselves and, like, Adele's <laughs> playing. Um, and I, that was in my head the entire time. And then I go back into his office and he feels – it was all really quick. And he says, you need to have um, emergency surgery. And so he told me to go buy some comfortable clothes because I was in here from – I was out here from New York and I didn't have really anything with me, especially to have surgery. And uh, so I went to Target uh, – no, I went to Fat Burger first – <laughs> and um, thought about me having cancer and then I uh, not knowing what I had and then I went to Target and kind of wandered around and bought um, bought cancer clothes well yeah I'm, <laughs> yeah I'm just I mean I'm laughing because it's just so similar to my situation where I didn't have a car I rode my bike down to LA County oh, <laughs> I wish no, we would have no. known each other. I would have drove you. We could have no, had sad times together. No, I mean, because I just thought it would, you know, it would be nothing. And it was just going to be this long day. And then I was waiting there 11 hours. And then the guy's like, well, I'm sure everyone's been telling you it's testicular cancer. I was like, no, no one said that at all. And then, you know, obviously oh, you're, you're really bummed out and whatever. And you were scared. Oh, yeah. Was, well, yeah, I was scared. And then also scared. And then also a lot of it was just I didn't want to. I didn't want to tell my mom or my yeah. parents because you feel like, oh, man. It's like, the hardest. It's a – you feel like a, a burden in a weird way. Obviously sh- – or at least I did that I felt like, oh, man, now they're going to have to do all this stuff and be – like, I don't know. Yeah. It, it was a lot of emotions. But I was kind of overwhelmed in the same way. And then I got on my phone. I bet on all these NFL preseason football games <laughs> for some reason. I was like, this will – this will make me feel better. This is some weird serotonin thing. I just need to do this. And then my girlfriend picked me up and then got a bottle of whiskey and a pizza and was just like, nice. all right. Nice. So that was <laughs> nice. I like that. That's a I, – I, I definitely – I tend to always think the worst in most situations. And uh, so I definitely thought I'm dying. And I, I – um, it just, I mean, it really, it, it went so quickly. I had the surgery and then the days following the surgery was just a lot of recovery and hoping, 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 hoping that it wasn't anything advanced and that I would just have to have had the testicle removed and I'm good to go and I can continue on my life. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. And uh, so then a couple, about a week later, called me back saying I had, um, I was, I, I needed to go through uh, a couple cycles of chemotherapy because... Um, I had a fat mine. It was tumor and it was a uh, fast growing, um, uh, uh, fast growing. I'm forgetting. I'm blanking on the actual name. Now there's two different types of, uh, stages of cancer and mine was, um, fast. Yeah. Growing. There's, 
Seminoa and not Thank Seminoa. you. Yeah, I was for some reason I was thinking of eviction. I don't know why the word eviction was in my brain, and that's what well, was in my brain. Well, and then even um, there's Seminoa and non-Seminoa. Seminoa yeah. can it's like the, it's less common, is, but non-Seminoa is more common. Yeah, non-Seminoa is actually the faster growing one. Exactly. For some reason, I don't know why non-fast whatever. I know it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I and then I had non-Seminoa as well, and was also. But and then even within the non-Seminoa, there's like three different types. Yeah, and those vary as well. I think the ones I had was like medium. Yeah. To like high on some, or like thirty percent, and then fifty percent of like the slower. And your tumor marker levels were probably okay afterwards. They, they, yeah, yeah, they've been okay after yeah. that. So. Yeah, mine weren't, and so um, I had to start chemo. Now, okay, so did they do um, – what about the lymph node removal? Did they do that surgery no, as well? No, I didn't need that, um, I, and I, I, there's still a possibility I might need that. It's, uh, it's it, it, Basically, they're just not wanting anything to spread, So, which is why I have to go back continually for um, blood work and then every three months cats or CT scans and um, – and just to make sure that nothing's spreading. So, uh, so no, they didn't have to do that surgery, but that's still in the air. Yeah, and um, it's so it's so bizarre. I know two other comedians, my buddy Matt Sullivan, who was mm-hmm. friends with for a long time, who started the comedy garage with, or one of the guys back in the day. He had uh, testicular cancer mm. before I met him. I didn't so know that. yeah, so it was a great resource to like ask questions about. Also, there's another comedian, John Huck, yeah. who had testicular cancer. So, I, um, Rob you know, Delaney too. Oh really? Yeah. Wow, it's a great uh, joke about it. Oh really? Well, yeah. what's his joke? I, I couldn't. I don't want to ruin it. Oh, I, won't, okay, I will sorry. not do that. <laughs> I, I'm very. I'm really phobic about doing that with comics. There's only one that I do that with, and that's Jackie Monahan, where she does um, a Catherine Hepburn impersonation, where she says, "This is Catherine Hepburn doing uh, uh, Guns and Roses," and she goes, "Where do you go now?" And it's like the funniest thing you'll ever see in your life. Um, yeah, I don't, I, it's weird. It's. Uh, I think the statistics are. It's a very. <laughs> It's very rare, but yeah. of our age group, it's the most common cancer. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's amazing to me how like, you know, people say people say like, if this is the, if you're gonna get a cancer, this is the cancer to get. That's a horrible thing to say. Yes. Don't ever tell me that. No. Um, and because I don't ever want to get cancer, but they, you know, or like, go through chemo. Yeah, they're just like, okay, this or is anything. a talking point. That's the exact same exactly. line I got. And rationally, I understand it's because they feel uncomfortable and lost with the situation because they can't relate to it and they say the things that they say just like with me whenever right before i was going through chemo people would tell me of people that they knew that had cancer and that had died and it's like (laughs) i don't want to know that no the person the human being inside of me the rational normal person understood where they were coming from with that the cancer patient about to start chemo in me was like i want to stab you in the eye yeah i want you to die yeah and then you're also but it's that weird feeling of you can't get mad at them. You can't, no. Logically, because you're like... But they'll forgive person... you because you have cancer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it is a weird... You're talking about playing the race card or whatever. There is a weird play the cancer card. Uh... You know, I will say, as a comedian, before cancer, I, it, I was, it was harder for me to get leeway into doing certain things, getting certain audiences, getting certain gigs, etc. And now that my now that I had had cancer, and this is a horrible thing, to, not a horrible thing to say, it's just different. I'm more relatable. So I get I'm noticing I'm getting like, 
you know, different shows or I'm getting put in different places or I'm getting asked to do certain different things that I've never been asked to do or certain like more straight male centric things that I've never been asked to do. And it's, it's, I like it, but it's a, it's a, it's again, it's that cancer card that's like tripping me out thinking. Yeah. Now as a, as a comedian too, obviously like I've, I've comedy about it. I like talking about it to some degree and I enjoy talking about it. But then also if you're around town, keep doing the same set. It's like, it feels, I, I it's, it's weird. Like it's, my life, I like talking about it. I like doing comedy about it, but then at some point, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's too much, maybe, or especially in like a quick set, I feel like it's tough sometimes. What's what's been your? I've embraced of it? it. I mean, I I feel like everything that happened to me. So like during my chemo, I it was horrible, and um, and then during my process of the whole chemotherapy i had a good friend who was also going through chemotherapy um for a different type of cancer and uh right when i got off chemo um he also got off chemo but because there was nothing more they could do for him and he passed away oh, I'm sorry um, to hear that. and it was the whole experience of my shitty experience and everything that was happening to me and sort of the emotions i was going through and then experiencing that it hit me. I mean, it just hit me the reality of life and sort of like how, how this works and, and how this disease works. And now I find myself, I've done my old jokes since getting back up. I didn't get back up until for a couple of months and I certainly didn't perform during chemo at all. So I took a good like five, six months off and just focused on getting healthy. And I was writing of course the entire time, but I, um, I writing as best I could. And now that I'm doing it around town, I'm noticing that, like, I have to talk about it. And I see – I've never seen this as a comedian. People's faces, like, freeze sometimes yeah. when, when you know that you've got them on something that they can't get away from. And they didn't know that they were coming for a cancer set. <laughs> they thought they were coming for a comedy set. And they're getting a comedy set, but it's going to be a different type of comedy. Yeah. And it's, it's – uh, I like it. I don't get exhausted with it, surprisingly. It doesn't wear me out doing it over and over again, only because I feel like in some way I have something to say and I have to respect the memory of my friend and what I experienced. And part of that is that's always on my mind right now. And yeah. so I need to get that out in a constructive, funny way. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what the great thing about comedy is that you can take serious subjects like that and kind of uh roll with it yeah what, what about your what about your health right now i mean you you look like you're real healthy yeah i, I mean, feel i feel okay i uh I, right now i am going through the post-treatment stuff they uh my the ct scan a couple months two months ago found a mark on my left lung and they the tumor marker levels are fine so they don't know they basically we're just waiting out to see if it grows which is like a horrible thing to always have on your mind um, right. but I should know more of my Synex CT fan and, uh, knock on wood. Yeah. And I got, um, pre chemo, they had to take out a bunch of teeth, um, because of possible infection during chemo. So I'm dealing with getting my teeth put back in now. Um, I got two new ones and, uh, and so I can have a full smile now, which is good. <laughs> um, and then the ones in the back, I have to also get fixed. There's a lot of bone graphing and it's amazing the areas that cancer touches that you wouldn't expect. And, and sort of what happens afterwards when you're rebuilding your life and you're reevaluating kind of like what you want to do and your priorities. And right now getting up and 
doing seven shows a week is like not a priority for me at all. I mean, if I get up and do a couple of shows a week and then write as much as I can and, and try to get as many pieces out there to talk about different things, not just cancer. Yeah. Yeah. How is that? Just how has this whole experience adjusted your clarity in life or given you sort of a new perspective? How how is, how is your just overall view of life changed? I want kids really badly. Like that is probably the sh- more surprising thing that came out of it. I uh, I had to freeze my sperm. I, did you freeze your sperm too? Yep. Yeah. I froze my sperm and very happy about <laughs> now, it. Quick, quick question. Yeah. Now I know my experience. I walked in. Was it to... a sperm bank or like a hospital? Sperm bank. See, mine was at a hospital. See, I went to a legit sperm bank. That's probably cool. And well, the idea is like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. But then you're in this like. It's like a doctor's office. Yeah. So it's, your, your penis is very confused because normally – Did you get porn? Yes. See, I didn't get porn. <laughs> well, then I was going to also ask you, do they have like – okay, here's the normal um, – you know, the, the normal uh, – the porno for the straight guys. And then, hey, here, just in case a gay guy gets – you didn't – so you just had to go off memory. I – it was a ridiculous experience. I was so overwhelmed pre-chemo dealing with things that I didn't want to think about – having children someday so i passed it out to my mother to find um a, a sperm bank um because we're not close enough and so she found one and we <laughs> went and we didn't go i went and it's like it was in a hospital she, she wasn't <laughs> she, she, that, she didn't drive you guys me. aren't that close no we're not that close she'll she'll go and yelp she'll find the good one <laughs> from there on it's you that's where she ends i flipped out the night before though because i didn't read any of the rules and you're supposed to abstain for seven days prior to a deposit from what the form said Okay. I had had a particularly lonely morning, and <laughs> I did not abstain at all for that seven days. I flipped out thinking, "Am I like is my chances of having children shot because my parents have cable on demand and I was watching Gigolos?" Like, <laughs> I it really frightened me, you know. And I went, I did it. I just trusted my spunk, and I went, and I got there, and it's at the hospital. And like, I get back into this room, and there's no. It's like a clinical room. They have a television that only has. HGTV and CNN. <laughs> well, like, maybe you can get Anderson Cooper on. That. Well, I I will say that I there there was a Rob the Morning Weatherman on CNN <laughs> who's now on Entertainment Tonight, and he was very. I should probably write him an apology letter. <laughs> I should, because but I might have kids because of him. So hey, yeah, and yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. The mental. Listen, normally it's not a problem yeah. uh, masturbating, but it's such a heavy situation. Like, I, I feel like it would have been yeah. hard to work it out just if it was just like a, a routine deposit. But the fact that you have this weight – now, I did yeah. mine before the surgery, and I'm guessing you did too, yeah. right? So, no, I, no, mine was after the surgery. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I did mine before the surgery, so this whole thing is – kind yeah. of weighing in my head you're doing all these scenarios yeah and so it's like this weird like you're thinking about your own mortality and yeah. children and yeah it's an i just int- focused on rob <laughs> you know what i mean i it's I, an intense situation, I, 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 could, yeah. I should probably get into combat or something because like i can i can if i put my mind to it i can get through <laughs> any rough situation well it is <laughs> yeah. it, eventually eventually your hedonistic brain or Eventually, it takes. And it's over. only forty-seven seconds. Come on, <laughs> but like, there's, all, <laughs> there's a lot where you're like, 
oh my god, I just hope everything is. Oh my god, look at that chick's jugs. Or, yeah, yeah. In your case, look at Rob's strong chiseled jar. Nice clavicles. <laughs> you know, broad shoulders on Rob. <laughs> That's all you can see. He's in a nice suit. <laughs> I don't. I'm not thinking about my mortality much in 47 seconds. Not yeah. really. <laughs> uh, I mean, but it's a it's an intense situation to, for that to occur. Normally, yeah. it's like, yeah. hey, you're relaxed or you're trying to kill time. Yeah, but. No, it was a, uh, it was weird. It was a weird moment. So I want kids. That's the biggest thing. Um, I definitely need a child to be able to be like, I'm cool, and you will be cool either adjacent or you will be cool yourself, depending. Because some kids just aren't cool, and but whatever, they'll be awesome and great. And I want that. I want a child to have some molding too. And also too, I, uh, I find I, 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 I want, I struggle with people sort of dying i i struggle with death a lot now it's something i've noticed that is it's i have a lot of thoughts of like we're all gonna die someday like i'll look at you and be like you're gonna die and that's a weird moment for me it's i'm in a weird place right now where i'm thinking about that a lot and it's uh it hinders me in a lot of situations but uh, yeah no I, i hear what you're saying i think um yeah, it is interesting. I found some of that's, or I think in a certain sense, there's like a crazy. Uh, or with my own experiences, I I felt like there's a crazy freedom and like a crazy adrenaline rush to, yeah. to like a certain. Hey, we're all gonna die! Like, yeah. like a certain weird freedom of, hey, hey this. Uh, like none of this is guaranteed. Like, come yeah. on, come on, guys, let's get See, excited. Now that worked for me before cancer, and that realization of like, we're all gonna die someday, whatever. And it's like, that's great, but now it's so singular. It's so like, I, I'm gonna die, and I don't want to die soon, and I want to do certain things, not great things, not crazy things. I just want to have a kid, maybe write a book, and like be able to get paid full time to do what I love. That's all I yeah. want. That's all I want. And 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 I have no other aspiration. I mean I have many other aspirations, but I don't like have any big lofty things. I just don't R- want to die ten years yeah. Rob the weatherman. I want to shake his hand and say thank you. <laughs> and but I like I don't have any crazy things. I just don't want to die before I see my grandchild. So I guess <laughs> what I I guess maybe I wasn't articulating right or the idea like I think there is something to you don't realize I think it's subconsciously it's very easy to just kind of live and not really have any sort of appreciation but i I think you don't realize how much just like mechanically or just how built into your DNA yeah. the the basic primitive desire of just wanting to continue living is yeah. until someone's like, well, we'll see how these things go uh, yeah, I have like a joke in my act now where I talk about. You know, when you have cancer, and especially after chemo, you think about death a lot. You have death on your mind. And there's that saying that people always say that, like, you could get hit by a bus and drop dead at any moment. You know what I mean? But, like, for most people, it's like, watch where you're walking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wa- look both ways. But for me, it's like, I've gone through chemo. I've had a really crazy, you know, similar events happen with a friend of mine who also passed away. Do in, in a very similar situation, and it's just 
it, it's like you realize how close death actually can be. And when you are that close to it, when it's that tangible, when you can start feeling it and it gets into that shaky sort of butterflies in your stomach feeling, that's when you realize, well, the bus analogy is actually nothing. Like, <laughs> yes, we can all drop dead one day, but get cancer. Like, yeah. feel it. Feel it. Don't just think, oh, it could happen. When you feel it, that's when it's like a wake-up call. And you start living a little bit differently. I don't know if I'm not doing anything crazy different. I mean, I'm driving more safely. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's not that. It's just it's on my mind a lot. I think about I think about the passing of people. I think about my parents a lot. I, I, I see my mom, and, you know, whenever she's sick, I get more concerned now. And it's like... It's just, there are just things on my mind that I can't stop thinking about. And eventually over time, it will get better to use that phrase, but um, it will get better. Sorry. <laughs> it, it will get better. It gets better. Eventually. That's what they should have it for cancer. They should yeah. have, it gets better for cancer patients. Exactly. It gets better for everyone. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Overall, things get better yeah. or your perspective changes. Or just more normal. Yeah, it's more exactly. normal. Yeah. Or, if even if they stay the same, you grow to accustom the shittiness, yeah. and then inherently things get better. That's what I tell people now. It's just that I'm just getting adjusted to even if I even if I'm completely in remission, you know, at some point, like I, which I will be. And someone tells me you're completely in remission, you're yeah. done, no more cancer, you're no longer cancery, and it's like I will always be a little cancery. You know what I mean? Like I'll always have a little bit of that in me because it's like it's. I feel like it's on your brain. It's in your body. It's a part of you. It's a, it's a moment. It's a touchstone in your life that, like, 40 years from now, you are going to tell your kid, yeah, this happened to me, and you, you should came probably out of my check one yourself. Testicle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You are a product of a very singular operation. Yeah, I mean, in in my case, yeah, the first couple tests have been good, but it's the same thing of you go in every three months now, CT scan yeah. or x-rays or um, – you know, blood work, that kind of stuff. And, you know, I know the statistics and it's been all good, you know, so far, but obviously there is a chance it could come back. So it's this, it's this weird thing of like, Hey, don't let it wear you down. Don't think about, or I don't know. Like it's that, I guess in the same way that you talked about, you want to do justice to it. Like part of me, cause I am, I am fortunate that I'm doing good right now. And, you know, hopefully continued. Um, yeah, I exactly. wood there. <laughs> well, it's like you want to be kind of – you want to be like, hey, let's just keep going on with life. But then you're like, uh, I feel like I want to respect the seriousness of this yeah. and don't want to be like, oh, F it. Who cares? Because yeah. obviously I do really care. But then you also want to be like, well, things are going good. Celebrate. But then this thing of, hey, it might come back. Things might change or whatever. Mm. That's – the kind of annoying or it's, it's that reality like that thing that's yeah. just hanging around yeah. and you know okay i gotta go get blood work sit there get the test do this thing do all sit there get the ct scan all that kind of stuff and you're like hey this should be fine statistically but then also yeah yeah you just uh, be transition from being i mean you and i probably had a very similar life before this all happened whereas 
we are both comedians. We both are probably struggling in financial situations sometimes. We're working. (laughs) We're doing the best we can. But we never have had probably a very significant health situation that came our way. We never – it was all pretty beige up until this moment. And that's how it was for me. I mean I had eye surgery when I was cross-eyed when I was a kid. That was the extent of my surgeries. And so then now it's like there's this new reality. And it's not just like a – Oh, uh, now I have like high blood pressure. You know what I mean? It's that. Oh, now I have to go see if cancer is spreading in my yeah. body. Well, it, it's weird. I actually had skin cancer when I was eighteen. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe you had a good early course of understanding. <laughs> but that was. I, I went. It was a. It was uh, just went in. Didn't even get knocked out, and they just took a chunk, took a bad mole out of my back, and that yeah. was it. It didn't feel, obviously, as serious as uh, testicular cancer felt or, or feels or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's a, a new... head trip, but it's yeah. – yeah. It's a new way to look <laughs> at, at sort of your reality, and you learn to respect people a little bit more. A friend of mine, Brian, um, my writing partner, amazing, amazing man who – you know, that's one of the things that came out of this, I think, that maybe I realized, but – you know, Brian is my best friend, and we met in New York, and we started Seriously LOL together, the show that I produce with him, and we write together, and he's a part of everything comedically that I do. But when I got sick, it was like he got sick. It was like he had to then drop what he was doing and be there for me and do some things that were now a part of our common goals of what we were trying to do, which was me get better so we could get back to being funny. And it it... So he's an amazing man, but he said um, that now that I'm better, am I going to be, am I going to stop being nice? And (laughs) it was like, so, I mean, you realize that, you know, things change and things, you know, I I guess, I guess maybe I am a little nicer to people now because I value (laughs) situations more. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I am different now. I don't know. But it's, uh, you, you just learn to recognize those things and be happy about it and, be happy to be able to talk about it on podcasts like this. Agreed. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're uh, here. I'm glad you came in, did the podcast, had a great time, felt like we touched on everything, got yeah. a lot covered, a lot of good stuff. Uh, H. Allen, really appreciate your time and your uh, candidness. Yeah. Where Thank can you for uh, me. Where can people check you out online or what do you got? Well, the first stop shop is always the Twitter. You know, people are loving mm-hmm. the Twitter these days, so you can just go to H. Allen Scott, that's A-L-A-N. H. Allen Scott, um, you know, and then and then if you're in L.A. on March 28th, Meltdown, we're having the first sort of premiere of uh, Chemocation Live, which is what I used the hashtag when I was tweeting about my cancer. It was Chemocation. Oh, okay, and sweet. So it's the start of sort of a touring show that'll eventually turn into a benefit show for um, various charities. Oh, which well, I'm that's really excited awesome, about. Congratulations yeah. on that. Now, Chemocation is it uh, stand up? What kind of stuff are you? It's doing? a well, it's it's like a lot one of man thing. It's I hate the idea of a one man show. I always have, and so it's not a one man <laughs> show ever. But it is just Brian and I, and it's mainly me. Um, but it involves a lot of. I've always used a lot of like different multimedia elements in terms of the produced shows that I do, and so there's a lot of video in it. There's um, we have a singing tumor in it which i'm really excited <laughs> about uh and uh and of course then my stand-up and so it's a good mix of sort of a lot of different things we're gonna work in a twitter accompaniment to it as well so it's gonna be a unique show all right well awesome make sure yeah. you guys go check that out make sure you follow h allen scott 
Hey, Challen, glad to have you on once yeah. again. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in the green room. We do it live here every week on ShantiGreen.com. The Green Room with Sean Green. Keep up the great work. See you later. Download archived episodes at 247comedy.com and follow the show on Twitter at Green Room Show. He should have seen she was really naive. Shit, she was still only 19. And he was many years older. But he seen her walk by in them tight jeans. And he looked at her like, that's my queen. Cause he thought that he could mold her, but it's over, yeah. no. Larry was a 